Hey, Sanctus Young Adults, uh, Sarah O'Toole here, and I'm here with Kathy Michelle, um, the Executive Director at the Pregnancy Help Center of Durham. Um, Kathy, I'm so excited to just dive into a conversation today about uh, the status of abortion in Canada, in Durham region, um, the role of the Pregnancy Help Center in supporting women and families, and what we can do as young adults in the church uh, to confront the, the problem of abortion in our, in our context. So, I would love to just start off this conversation by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do at the Pregnancy Help Center, and anything else about yourself that might be important for us to know. Um, I have been at the Pregnancy Help Center for 23 years. I started in 1997. Um, we are a volunteer-based organization, and right now we have two sites. We had three, but we closed our Bowmanville site um, during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, because it became kind of unsustainable with other things that are going to be going on in the future weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. So we have two sites now. We have directors on each site that oversee the day-to-day -day kind of operations and participate with our volunteers. And then my job is to um, be involved in, in more of the administration things, the fundraising, the policy making, the training, the volunteers, and the supporting of the directors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's been my role for probably the past 10 years. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, to give some context as well, I've been serving with the Pregnancy Help Center for about a year now. Uh, it flew by, but so I have had the privilege of meeting Kathy. Uh, you did my orientation a year ago now, Kathy. Um, so yeah, I've been blessed by knowing you as well. Um, so I would love to just dive into this conversation and start about uh, talking about the status of abortion and the legal climate in Canada. So uh, when I was preparing for this, I was thinking about how a lot of information that I think we receive about abortion is from the states. So we tend to kind of lump ourselves with uh, the legal climate of the United States, but we know that it's actually very different in Canada. Uh, I was reading a statistic that said 77% of Canadians think that there's some kind of law in Canada that restricts abortion past a certain stage. Um, but the fact is there's actually no law right now in Canada that does that. So. I would love if you could give us some background uh, into how we got there as a country and then also why it's so important uh, for us to know that there's actually no law. How did we get there? Um, we started um, as a British colony. So we got all of our laws from Britain. Mm -hmm. And then Britain changed its law around, um, around abortion in about 1929 with the Infant Preservation Act. So our laws changed with that, mm. right? Canada kind of developed its own stance on this in 1969 through Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about Pierre Trudeau is, is he kind of addressed this through the Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms. So when you guys are talking about what it means to be human, in Canada, this is one of the things that we talk about as what it means to be human, that this is a human right. And so that's where it came into Canada. So in the States, when you listen to um, the discussion of, of abortion, it usually starts in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Canada predates, mm -hmm. right? So Canada, our laws change in 1969. 
But in 1969, when they were introduced, Pierre Trudeau felt kind of strongly that it should be a decision that people were held accountable for. That you weren't able to, to just kind of willy-nilly have an abortion. That there should be oversight from administrators and doctors, right? And that it was a serious decision to make, mm-hmm. right? So he set up a committee, but the committee was struck down in, in Ontario. So the thing to know about Canada is, is we don't have a health policy across Canada. Mm. Health is under, is under provincial jurisdiction. So Ontario is health policy, right? right? And you have OHIP, right? Mm. So we don't, you don't have national coverage of your health care. You have OHIP. Right. Because we, our stuff comes under Ontario. So in 1989, there was an Ontario Supreme Court case that, that Morgenthaler kind of spearheaded. And Morgenthaler was an abortionist who actually, um, well, historically was a Polish Jew in a concentration camp. Hmm. But he emigrated to North America, to Canada. He became an an abortionist and he's the one that spearheaded changing our laws because he believed that women didn't have access, Mm. right? And so to improve access, what happened is the Supreme Court took out the oversight committees that had been set up and made abortions a... uh, OHIP funded service, Mm. right? What was really interesting about that that court case is that Morgenthaler didn't submit the documents as an abortionist. He submitted the documents as the president of the Humanist Fellowship of Montreal. That is an ideological thing. That's not a medical thing, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of times, abortion has been relegated into medical stuff. It's been relegated into political rhetoric. I'm not sure a lot of people understand that there's actually a really strong spiritual component of mm-hmm. what has happened around abortion in Canada, mm-hmm. right? And that abortion was promoted as consistent with a humanist ideology, mm. right? And so since that time, we have had no laws. Mm. So the only laws we have are, are kind of the rules that facilities make up. Right. So a facility will say, we will do abortions to 21 weeks, mm. right? Most, most, uh, most clinics don't do past 21 weeks because there's too many risks. Okay. So abortions after 21 weeks tend to happen in a hospital. A lot of hospitals won't do them, mm-hmm. right, on policy, right? But it's really up to the policy of each of the different organizations, but there is no overseeing law. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right? It doesn't exist in Ontario. It doesn't exist in any of the other provinces and it doesn't exist in Canada. Mm-hmm. 
So for a long time, Prince Edward Island didn't do any abortions. Oh. Right. Um, and so what was interesting is a few years ago, they did a spread in the Toronto Star and they said that abortions weren't available across the communities of Ontario. And mm. I have to say, I laughed out loud. Right. Because every hospital, sort of every hospital conglomeration. So now, you know, most of the hospitals are networked. Yeah. Right. Oshawa's networked with Ajax and, mm -hmm. and Bowmanville. So they're networked. But all of those networks have at least one facility that will do abortion. Right. 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 So abortions are accessible. Right. And in fact, I was doing some research in Canada. And right now, our, looking back, actually, not right now, but 2018, because it's hard to get really current dads, yeah. stats. But 2018, our abortion rate per 1,000 women in Canada was 11.7. Our crude birth rate, which is, is basically calculated by the number of births per 1,000 women, was 10.5. Wow. We are having more abortions than we are having babies. Wow. Right. And no one knows this. No. No one knows this is going on mm -hmm. in our country. Wow. Right. Wow. So do we need oversight? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Right. Right. Because it's an overutilized choice, too. I was trying to find adoption rates because mm -hmm. what I liked about your video is you talked about adoption. Yeah. Too. Mm -hmm. So I tried to find in infant adoption rates. It was very difficult to find any. Right. But for 2018 in BC, there were 38 infants adopted, but there were over 12,900 abortions in the same province. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is really not considered a viable option. Right. In a pregnancy. And I think that that's problematic in the right. church and in Canada in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting. I think something I've heard a lot about adoption as an option is that there's too many children or there's too many babies already in the system or that, um, yeah, there's not enough willing and wanting adoptive parents. But looking into the statistics myself, it's quite flipped the other way. So could you speak to yeah. that a little bit? Uh, I think you just did. When you actually <laughs> look at the yeah. statistics around adoption in Canada, and when you look at the statistics of, of children in care, Mm -hmm. There are way more parents that want to adopt mm -hmm. than there are children in care. The problem is that we've made the mechanism so unwieldy that it takes a really, really long time mm -hmm. to adopt in Canada. So particularly if you're interested in adopting an infant, that's incredibly difficult in Canada. Yeah. However, you have likely you know, one of the best adoption experts in your own church in a way through her experience and, and through the family's experience with fostering with the Dionysius, right? One of the best ways to adopt in Canada is to foster children, mm -hmm. 
right? And so when people contact me, because sometimes we get people contacting us directly asking mm-hmm. if we have infants. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. That, that are placeable. Right. You know what, what I will tell them is do your home study program, because that's one of the hoops that you're required to go through in Canada. So do your home study program. Send it out to every lawyer and registered adoption agency in the whole nation, (laughs) right? But think about fostering, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have seen it actually even in my own family Mm -hmm. uh, with my brother and sister-in-law. They've adopted four children through through fostering. Beautiful. Right? So this is totally possible. But they have made it, it's difficult in Canada, mm-hmm. right? It's not an easy process to go through. Right. And right. I think people give up too. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I would say adoption is a pretty cool thing. Adoption is the God option. Right. We're adopted. I was just about to say, <laughs> we can relate. Yeah, we're adopted, yeah. right? We're the adopted heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what scripture mm-hmm. says, mm-hmm. right? So God is the father of adoption. And I really think it's sad that it's not promoted right. as a way more viable option right. than it is. There are a lot of kids who are wanted. Mm-hmm. There really are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this kind of goes in nicely to another question that I really wanted to ask you. Um, And it's something that I've heard. I mean, it's something I've said myself, but it's also something I've talked about with a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of young adults at Sanctus, that uh, we often feel like the church is somewhat silent around uh, the topic of abortion and um, recognizing that there, there are, I think I read a stat that said that one in four women in the church have gone through an abortion. And that was a stat coming out of British Columbia. Uh, I think it was from 2019, but yeah, I've just heard a lot about how uh, we can often be frustrated that the church is silent, that the church isn't doing anything about the the women in their own congregation that have gone through this or uh, that have watched a loved one go through it. Um, And this is quite a large question. It's quite a, uh, even a theological question. What is the role of the church? What do we do? But what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure that's something that you've worked through a lot. Um, And how can we as the the kind of capital C church uh, get involved in in the fight against abortion a little bit more? Well, I think one of the ways we do it and and i really appreciate again going back to the video one of the things he said Mm -hmm. is the cross is bigger yeah abortion isn't irredeemable Mm -hmm. but it tends to be silent Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we don't know who's had an abortion either they're talk about it they're ashamed of it right they feel that people are going to judge them if if you say this is my history Right. And I think in the church, you know, one of the lines I always use with my my kids is you have to rise above. Mm -hmm. Right. We have to rise above that and understand how big the cross is. Mm -hmm. Right. There is redemption. Right. And if we can can have a conversation that's open and say we understand the reality of this. 
right? We're not here to judge you about this. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of times, you know, women usually don't lightly choose abortion. Right. They, they're very afraid. Mm -hmm. They look at the situation that they're in right now and they look, they go, I can't do this. Right. And one of the reasons why they say that is because we have compartmentalized our families. We have disjointed people. Um, we have relegated ourselves to groups, right? So I get that I'm talking to Sanctus Young Adults. Your church is bigger than the young adults. Mm -hmm. And you know what is my favorite thing to do is to sit in a sanctuary with this is all over. <laughs> church is going to be so much better than it was Absolutely. before. Right? <laughs> Just to sit in a whole body of people that are different ages and different yeah. ethnic groups and different everything. Mm -hmm. And to say, we are the church. Mm -hmm. Right? There are hurting people in the church and abortion is one issue. Yeah. that hurts people in the church. But because it's been so politicized as well, and because charities are always under, and churches are charities, so charities are always under scrutiny around breaking charitable law, right? I think a lot of people avoid the conversation because it's also been deemed political mm -hmm. in Canada. Definitely. Right. And so that's why I told you the story about Morgenthaler. I want people to understand that in Canada, is there a political thing about it? Well, there is if you're a liberal and you want to run yeah. for candidacy in the Liberal Party. Because if you say you're pro-life, right? That's what's happening right now in Canada, in the Liberal Party. Mm -hmm. So you can't have an individual value orientation. Mm -hmm. So we won't even get into how frightening that is. But apart from that, this isn't a political discussion. Mm -hmm. This is about women's lives. Yeah. This is about children. This is about families that get broken before they're even formed. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of sadness in this. Mm -hmm. And when we don't have the, com the conversation, we can't provide the comfort. Right. Oh, that's a good line. Right. I like that. We have that. to have the conversation so, so that we can be part of, of comforting those people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we draw back from our own fear, um, from our fear of hurting people, from our fear of thinking that if we talk about it, we're going to make it worse. Right. You're not. No. It's already worse for them. It's yeah. worse because they can't talk about it. Right. Right. And so one of the things that we've done is we've provided our post-abortion groups to church. Mm. So we have been able to run a couple of our post-abortion um, programs through Calvary Baptist in Oshawa. Okay. Right. Um, to people in their congregation. The problem is a lot of people don't come forward and say, that's my history. Mm. There's too much stigma about it. Right. Right. But we offer it and the people that have done it, it has made a significant change right. in their lives and it has brought healing. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? And it's, it has helped them to understand the redemption we have in Christ mm-hmm. and that the cross really is bigger. Right. That's so good. I love what you said about that we need to have the conversation before we can provide the comfort. And I feel like it's simply conversations like these that can really break down that fear of having these kind of conversations that can even lay the ground uh, to host something like a post-abortive counseling group where women feel like the atmosphere is graceful enough, um, is supportive enough, is comforting enough that they can actually come forward uh, and share that piece of their history. Right. And if they don't want to do it in the context, the context of group Mm -hmm. as a ministry, we're happy to provide that service and everything we do is free of charge. Yeah. It's free of charge to the members of your church. Yeah. If that's something that someone in your church is struggling with and they want help and they want healing and they don't want it to be something that colors or defines the rest of their lives. Yeah. We are more than happy to be part of, of that journey with them. Mm-hmm. And it is a journey. It's a grief journey. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so talking about the idea of conversation and our role in all of this, um, one thing that I'm thinking is, how do you think men fit into this conversation? I think I've heard a lot of men, even Christian men, talk about how the culture kind of makes it seem like they have no role, they have no say, uh, that it's simply a woman's issue. And uh, we know that that's simply not true, but I think there's a lot of pressure on men to be silent and to allow um, women to really, to take lead, uh, on this discussion, but I'm sure this is something that you've worked through. So what are your thoughts on that? Even to the men, the young adult men that are listening to this conversation, where do they fit in to, to the conversation about abortion? Well, sometimes I'm a little flippant with this one Mm -hmm. because I say to people, you know, unless we're worms, men were inexplicably involved. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm not sure why they don't have any responsibility. If I have to carry a canoe, I'd rather have the guy in the back carrying the other end. Thank you very much. (laughs) Right? And so somehow we've thought that it's in a woman's best interest to not have man's involvement. Mm. But she never got pregnant by herself. Absolutely. Right? We We help very few women who got pregnant alone. I think we've had one IVF person in the 23 years I've been here. We've had one (laughs) IVF person. We don't see women who got pregnant alone. They all got pregnant with the involvement of a man. Mm -hmm. They're all going to be living in the context of somewhere that usually involves men, whether it's a brother, whether it's a father, whether it's a boyfriend, right? There's men involved, and this is a family issue, right? We would never say it's solely a woman's responsibility to raise a child, Mm. Mm -hmm. right? You would never say that. It would be like the most sexist thing in the entire world to say, no, that's a woman's job, Right. right? Right. But we say this decision is a woman's job. Well, why is it a woman's job? Why is she Mm -hmm. left carrying that huge bag that is going to impact her for the rest of her life? Why is that her story alone? That's Mm -hmm. not fair. 
right? And so I understand that sometimes women have joined themselves with men who I'm not sure they want them speaking into their future experience. Yeah. However, then, the idea that you're joining yourself with someone who you don't want speaking into your future experience, I would say that's pretty problematic. Yeah. Right? Sex isn't free. Mm-hmm. Sex isn't a free activity, right? Do we pay for it? Well, hopefully not in dollars. Some people do. It's disgusting. But generally, there are costs associated with sex and there are outcomes associated with sex, which includes mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual, mental bonding, right? Which includes procreation right? These are all outcomes of sex. So if you're going to have sex, I think one of the things you have to think about is what am I going to do if I get pregnant? Yep. Right? It's a fair eventuality. You guys are pretty fertile, (laughs) right? No, it's the age you are. You're pretty fertile. You got to think what happens if I get pregnant? And the fact that this is shocking to so many women Mm. is shocking to me. How could this be shocking? It's scientific. (laughs) It seems to be the natural outcome. It really (laughs) does, right? Like, what's what's the problem here? You keep having sex, you got pregnant. Wow, that's a shocker, (laughs) right? And and so, and it's also because you've been promised things like that, um, right? That there is basically no risk when you're on birth control. Mm. you know no risk of what no Mm. risk of pregnancy no risk of stis no risk of what there's always there's always risks and costs when you're Mm. sexually active and that's Mm. why it's safe to be sexually active in a married couple Mm -hmm. right if you want to talk safe sex get married that's safe sex if you guys are monogamous and faithful to each other right? And prioritize each other's needs. I can tell you something, your sex will be entirely safe, Mm -hmm. right? But we've helped, we've handed out a whole bunch of lies. And then the consequences to the lies become bigger snowballs, Mm -hmm. right? So abortion is the consequence of the lie that sex, there is freedom in sex. There's no freedom in sex. Mm-hmm. It is a wonderful gift God gave us for the purposes of joining, building community, and, and procreating. It's a wonderful gift, right? But it's not a wonderland ride, right? right? It's not recreational. And our media and our educational system has really held up the idea that sex is a recreational activity. And so the outcomes of sex are not important. Yeah, we'll tell that to someone who has to decide what to do with their future. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. tell that to someone who's in their second year of college and finds out they're pregnant and doesn't understand how they're gonna finish, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't free, right? but it never was. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we have to start thinking through the consequences of what we do. 
That's actually why we do the BOLD program in the high school. Yeah. And one of the things that Aileen presents in the BOLD program at the high school is the decision-making sheet that we set up. And we get the kids to work it through because it helps them see all the options. Mm-hmm. And they come to the inevitable conclusion that none of them are great. Right. They're all hard. Life is hard sometimes, right? But it doesn't mean it's not worth taking the journey, Mm -hmm. right? And parenting is a journey that you take with another person and it grows you up, Mm -hmm. right? Probably in a way that nothing else can, right? You have to stop entirely thinking of yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And to actually really take someone else and understand that their existence depends on you. Mm-hmm. Right? That grows you up pretty fast. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> right? And so I think we need to take it seriously. Yeah. Right? But I would also encourage you guys, if, if you want to make a dent in this, you know what? You've been so enculturated to think in, in a situation where someone doesn't want to be pregnant, that the first choice is abortion. It's the first thing that pops into your mind. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't want it to, it's the first thing that pops into your mind because it's the constant line you've been fed. Yeah. Right. And so what I would encourage you guys to do when you're in this situation, when you're talking with your friends, When you're loving on people who are scared to death, right? Slow it down. Yeah. Right? One of the significant things Morgenthaler said, and one of the reasons why when you make an abortion appointment, they usually expedite it really, really quickly. Yeah. He said, if you give a woman time, she will change her mind. Yeah. Right. And so when your friends come to you or you're in a situation where this feels so urgent, Mm -hmm. slow it down. Right. Pray about it. See what God wants you to do. Right. This might not be having a baby is not like dying. This may not be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Mm Right. And that would be my challenge to your group. Slow it down. Mm-hmm. Have the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful, Kathy, because I think in these conversations, I think inevitably a lot of our young adults will have a friend or a family member or at least someone in their life that they know has gone through an abortion or might in the future um, ask for advice about a crisis pregnancy And I think there's often so much pressure on us to figure out what the right words are, what exactly we can say that will make them choose the right decision um, or what kind of piece of truth we can throw at them to convict them. But I think throughout my year with the Pregnancy Help Center too, that's something that I've been really learning is that slowing down the process and actually allowing the other person to think for themselves and to just have the weight of the world telling you, you can get this solved within five hours it can be over with and just kind of slowing down that process and allowing them to really process themselves can be so powerful so much more powerful than us trying to come up with the monologue to to throw towards them 
So that's right. really helpful. And I think involving men in that, that they can have a part of uh, their female friends or their female family members who yeah. might be going through that too. They can have a part of slowing down that process too. Um, because I think you mentioned something like it's kind of told to men that you're enabling, enabling, enabling a woman's um, freedom when you're silent, right? But it just makes the burden so much larger because you're not picking any yeah. of it up. So um, yeah. I think that's great advice to men and women to, uh, if you ever find yourself in this situation, to slow it down for yourself, but also to encourage others to do the same when they're going through it. Well, and to, to realize that things don't mistakenly happen. Mm -hmm. God always has a plan, right? And even if we kind of mess things up and we go on a route that, that we think, well, God wouldn't want me to be here. So whatever comes out of it. No, always, always, regardless of where you are, try to pick the godly way. Mm -hmm. Honor God in your decisions. He will honor you, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter how far down a path you went. Yeah right? You can start that today. That's not something that starts yesterday, mm -hmm. right? Or starts tomorrow. You can do that today. Choose, choose a godly way, right? Don't choose just what gets you out of trouble. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause that's short sighted. Life is longer than that. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's hard to see when you're 20. It's way easier to see at my age. <laughs> well, there's there's good news for us young adults. <laughs> yeah, the future is bright. Yeah, someday you'll be my age. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I think that's pretty much everything. This conversation has been so much better than I expected. So Thank you so much, Kathleen. I know that our young adults are going to be blessed from hearing all of this. Um, I did want to touch on a little bit of the work that the Pregnancy Help Center does in Durham Region, but um, we've talked about the post-abortive counseling that we provide. We talked about the decision-making support that we provide. Uh, we talked about the bold programs that go into high schools um, and help high school students work through uh, decision-making and if they find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to add in to just kind of give our young adults a picture of what our ministry well, does? Well, probably the last thing, and I, I have told this story at your church before, but more in the context of missions. But we had this um, beautiful little girl come in for Christmas photos several years ago. And the mom came in and she said, you know what, I don't want my picture taken. I just want a picture of my baby. And I said, are you sure we'd really like to have you in the picture? Because I like to use those pictures as a reminder of family for our clients, yeah. right? And so I said, you know, your daughter is one of the most beautiful children I've ever seen. And she looked at me and she said she was almost not here. Wow. She, this woman had immigrated to the country. And at the time she immigrated... Um, as soon as they landed, she found out she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. She had older children, eight and 10, and she found out she was pregnant with this little girl. And she said, there was no way we could do it. We were in this tiny little house. There wasn't room for the four of us. 
She goes, and then I was walking down the street. This was in Ajax. I was walking down the street and I saw your sign. Mm. And I came in because I wanted to see if you would give me an abortion. And when you showed me all the stuff you have and how you walk alongside families until, you know, the kids go to school, basically. So we give out supplies, whether it's food or whether it's diapers, um, clothing, equipment, whatever we have, we give out. Right. So sometimes it varies depending on what we have, but whatever we have, we give out. Right. And she said, when I came in and saw that, I realized God had made a way. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot of importance to the poverty work that we do as well. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when our volunteers are in there and, you know, as a volunteer, any volunteer can get really obsessed with stuff. Right. You spend a lot of time going through stuff. That's just the way it is. Right? <laughs> Many donations. <laughs> Many donations. Right. And, and this stuff can kind of sometimes overwhelm things. But the mm-hmm. stuff is important because it brings people in. Yeah. And because it, it sometimes will give them hope. And for this woman, it was it was God telling her that there was a way for her yeah. to have this baby. Right. And so when you guys are starting on your, your journey and you're getting rid of your baby stuff, think of us. Right. We'll find homes for it. Right. Uh We will love on people with it because it's our way of support. We don't want to just be there to encourage people to randomly have babies. Yeah. We want to walk with them through the journey of life. Mm-hmm. We want to help them get set and, and we will do as much with them as they allow us to do. Mm-hmm. So some people are pretty guarded, but other people really do want to share their lives. Yeah. And we really do want to be part of their story mm-hmm. and we want to be part of bringing hope mm-hmm. into their families and into their existence. So, you know, that is a, that's the other side of the ministry that I don't think we covered quite as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, what's cool about the PHC is there's actually quite a bit of diversity to it. Right. Right. We're working with people along a lot of different lines. Yeah. Right. But that is a significant thing that we do in helping people with stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I said, if you can share it in the future, that's great. If you would pray with us, right? We have a prayer letter that goes out every second week. Yep. If you guys would pray with us, our clients usually ask to be on that list and it's mm-hmm. our way to have those conversations with them. So we only want you to be on it if you promise to pray. Yeah. Because that's the, ins- that's the assurance we give our clients. Right that there are going to be a lot of people praying for this. Yeah. Right. And it's teaching them that God cares about their life and that God makes provision and that God changes things. Yeah. So if you guys would love to join us in prayer, we would love you to join us in prayer. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And if any group leaders are listening and, uh, and they would like to make that a part of their, uh, their missions nights or their weekly meetings, um, I can get you access to that prayer list. Um, I know I receive it from you every other week, Kathy. So I, yeah. I would love to forward that to our group leaders if yeah. they'd like to pray with their groups uh, biweekly for all of our clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but thanks for having me. This has yes. been absolutely odd. It's um, been awesome. It's been amazing. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Kathy, for yeah. uh, for giving your time to this as well. I really appreciate it. And I know our young adults will too.